Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sickle, with me is Benjamin Solak. Moving on to the next chapter of our final scouting reports and positional rankings for the 2021 NFL Draft class. So far, in case you guys missed it, we've done safety, corner, linebacker, and edge, which means today we are rounding out the defense, talking about the interior defensive linemen. The big boys, Ben. Something You were a trench player growing up, right? You, you oh, play? yeah, absolutely. You, you played nose in high school? You play no, Zero no tech. Right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Two down run stuffer, baby. That's yeah. what I like. Yeah, yeah. Two gapper all the way through. You know it. No, I'm excited because you know you get to bring the expertise of what it's like to be a uh, a two gap player in this class, which is yeah. I think really important. Our first category is space eater, and how appropriate, given that that's what I was called in high school. That was my nickname, Ben Space Eater. <laughs> Solak, Just gobble, 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 baby. Ben, how are you, my friend? Everything's delicious. Thanks for asking. Uh, we were no, we were reflecting uh, before we got on that it's. Uh, it's just it's not a super strong edge class and it's not a super strong interior defensive line class it's not, uh it's yeah. not it's not the year to need one of these uh guys to come in and start for you right away obviously it's a good year uh to be on the free agent market for one of these guys with what the cost is going to be but yeah you uh you got some developmental starters for sure right but i'm not sure that you've got any uh any guys who are going to come in year one and be really impactful yeah, that's kind of where I am. You know, when, when we finish the edge rush group, and I don't mean to put a damper on the episode before it even begins, because I think there are plenty of guys who could help out a rotation and do have starter upside and have little things that they do really well that could become more. But, you know, when we finished the edge rush class, it was kind of like, all right, we know the NFL is going to over-prioritize these guys because it is a premium position. But I just feel like most of these players are going to come off the board in day two. Like, it's not going to be a round one that's filled with a lot of edge rushers. At least it doesn't seem to be the case. Interior defensive line is the same way, and we'll get to how many round one players we think there are in this class. Because it seems like there's some people who have their fans, you know, their guys, if you will, in this class. And it Mm -hmm. makes sense if it's sort of even across the board and there's a lot of specialty between these players. If you value a certain skill set more than another then that would make sense that you would say, like, hey, you know, this might be a top 50 player for me. And we're going to do the same thing that we've done all of the episodes. We're going to recap a lot of the guys that we like in this class via superlatives. So as Ben said, best space eater, best pass rush specialist, a toughest evaluation, a day three target that we like. Then, of course, at the end of the podcast, we are also going to give our top five interior defensive linemen. But Ben, since uh, you know this background very well, since you were a space-eating nose tackle in high school, we'll start with this category. Who was your favorite space-eater, anchor, two-gap run defender in this class? Jalen Twyman. No. Uh, Lord. Okay. No, no, no. Uh, I was... Very pleasantly surprised by Tommy Tungiai's film. I don't yeah, know you let's Tommy? talk about it, baby. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like players who I was like, I-, I wasn't pleasantly surprised by most players in this class when we were going through the interior defensive line group. I feel like largely what I what I thought of them coming into their film, right? Like good or bad. I'm not saying like all of them disappointed. Um, was what was what I expected. I wasn't really stunned by anybody. Tommy Tungiai is. is 6'2", 300, 
and that's like that's three tech build, but boy, he holds up. Yeah, he's man. really, really strong against the run. So the fir- the first thing about Tungiai is that he's a excellent run defender, and, that, and like yes. Space Eater, we usually think about like you know six three, six four, three hundred forty pounds. Kaira Stonga, Marvin Wilson, Tyler Shelvin, bodies, and all these guys are right. appropriate. But Tungiai deserves a no. I mean, so he's listed at three hundred. A's a burly boy. I'm not sure if he's actually three hundred. I think he might be a little bit bigger. I was um, super confused on what his measurables were on the sheet and then what I saw on tape because I was like 300 mm-hmm. are y'all sure because of yeah, no. how well he was holding up and how well he was just bulldozing people right and they play him at at the 2i they play him at the one tag with Haskell Garrett next to him and Haskell Garrett's listed at 62 300 and you look at them next to each other and you're like I don't know about them, but I think maybe, maybe when something is not, that's not what's happening here. Um, but it, it's not enough to just be like big. Tungiai is extremely good with his hands. Uh, he's a violent, active player. And and it, the, it's the first second of reps, the first like chronological second where Tungiai is so good because, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm lined up, head up between the center and the guard. Uh, so I might get flow two, I might get flow away, I might get a down block and a pull, I might get a pull away. There's a lot that could happen for me right here in this spot. And in that first second, he explodes off the line through his hips, yep. gets his hands on the correct guy, visual key to pressure key, right? Working yep. on the guard to the center, gets control, gets his feet underneath him, and regularly wins that initial point of attack. So we're talking about resetting the line of scrimmage. He gets his heels on the original line of scrimmage. He's got control of the blocker in front of him. If the play is coming his way, he is such a good shock and shed player, right? So the shock is the initial hand placement, lock out with your elbows, send that offensive lineman back. And then shed. And then you build a him. shed right there. Just right start, there. You, you go to Home Depot, you. you put the two by fours up, and you just build a shed. Make sure you elevate that foundation in case there's rain. Anyway, so you've got <laughs> that shock and then the shed where he discards the offensive lineman if the play is coming towards either one of his gaps on either side of his frame. Shed the offensive lineman and make the tackle. So he's got a lot of production at or near the line of scrimmage um, because he's so good at resetting it, and then he makes those drag down tackles in that area. On passing downs... There's not as much of that. Uh, he's a clearly an early down player for Penn, for Ohio State, excuse me, uh, and likely for the league as well. Very often, he's just responsible for taking two, mm-hmm. right? He's responsible for getting the center to slide to him yes. uh, and, and, and occupying the guard for a moment. They're going to rush four. He's going to stay high, right? He's not, he's not going to even compromise pocket integrity that much. Right. And he's going to clean up if the quarterback breaks the pocket. Like, they played Penn State. They played Nebraska quarterbacks you really wanted to get outside of the pocket he was really really good and productive chasing those quarterbacks into the boundary he got a couple sacks on sean clifford just running him down into space he can rush with power because he's got such a hot motor he's a very very effortful player and he's got power that that hand violence that upper body rip strength to to, to, to throw a guy off to the side and get get upfield it's there he just doesn't know how to sequence his hands he's a little bit of an upright player i don't think he plays with great bend and so yeah. the natural leverage you'd like as, as a pass rusher isn't necessarily there but for me he's going to get reps on first down and on second down in the NFL. And sometimes those are going to be pass rush downs. And he's going to get an opportunity to start lacing some very natural power and some very natural hands uh, into more consistent pass rush moves. So there's a developmental profile here. He's not going to be a penetrating three-tech ever, even though that's a little bit his build. Because I just don't think he plays with the natural leverage, the necessary quickness to be successful right. there. But you can make a power rusher out of this guy. Yeah. So I, I gave him a Derek Nadi comparison. Nadi came out of Florida State. 
had a lot of hype coming in. Not really Tongi. I didn't have that much hype. But eventually, we had to be honest about Nadi and just say, okay, he's primarily a run defender. He's got this bowling ball frame. Uh, but he's just so good with his hands, and he's such an active run defender that he's going to see the field. That's exactly what happened for him at Kansas City. He's not their pass rush guy. He's not their go-get-a-sack dude, but he's important to them on early downs. That's what Tungia is going to be in the league. So if you're trying to stop the run, you know, defense, you've got a, a defender up front who can take two offensive linemen, who can play the interior gaps, you can two-gap for you, steal a gap, make your numbers work on the defense back end, Tommy Tungia is your guy. I really like Tommy Tungiai, and, and and we're going to get yeah. to where he is on my rankings. And uh, I, I don't want it to just sound like, oh, it's it's a lower-ceiling defensive line class. That's why I enjoy what I see in him. I think that I would regardless. And what helps him stand about, uh, out amongst this defensive line class is, though, we're going to get to a lot of these guys. And there are certain things that each person does well like there's a certain thing that Davian Nixon does well or that Aline McNeil does well or that Tyler Shelvin or Jalen Twyman or there are certain things that they do well right off the snap I don't see a lot of these guys winning late like I don't think that there are either pass rush moves or the motor or the natural strength or keeping leverage or all any of those things which allow Mm -hmm. them to win late in a snap like second number three or four even or even two, I guess, right. just outside of that initial burst. I feel like Tungi, I can win late. You know, I feel like this well, guy— he's just so high effort. Right, but but even even some of the guys who are high effort in this class, I wouldn't say that about. Like, I think that Tungi has got natural strength paired with a motor to be like, okay, well, even in these instances where somebody's got him locked up a little bit, if they've got their hands right inside him— he can throw the arms about like he can get off the block. And I feel like he does that decently easily. And so I was very intrigued by him. He is an early down player. I think no doubt about it, but I really liked the thought of just getting him on the field a lot. It's not like he is an early run defender and a liability. You know, it's not like you were playing right, that's him a very on good first way of putting it. Right, and second right, right, down yeah. just because that's all he could do. You're doing that because that's what he does really well. And you're also not worried in case it's a pass play. Like, in, in case they pass on second and three or something like that, or, or in case that they pass on first and ten. You're still cool with Tungi being on the field because of everything that he could do for you. Love the strength. Was confused by the measurables because I think that he plays a lot stronger mm-hmm. than what he's listed at. And so, I got him as a pretty versatile player. Can play in different fronts. I was really impressed with Tommy Tungi. And he was the last guy that I watched. So, I'm very, yeah. I am very glad that I did. I uh, I, I want to interject here just with a, a overarching point, which is interesting. So Daniel Jeremiah uh, had his media availability, right? And he was talking about a lot of stuff. And he had this this tweet about power rushers on the edge. He was talking about on the edge uh, where he was reflecting on. And I'm trying to find it to make sure that I read it correctly. In my opinion, power rushers have more value today than ever before. The ball is out so fast. Having the ability to crush the pocket has bigger impact than speed getting run around the edge while the ball is gone. And, and to elaborate on this, what DJ is saying is if you're going to line up in shotgun and one step drop it, you know, you're, you're not having these deep drops anymore from quarterbacks. You're not having these long developing route concepts. You're not having them read the full field progression based West Coast offense. They're spending less time in the pocket, less time holding the ball. So it's harder for a speed rush to win quickly enough off the line of scrimmage, flatten and get to that quarterback set point, which is so much shallower in the pocket than it used to be 10, 15 years ago. And it's easier for power rushers 
to just go through the tackle, put him in the quarterback's lap, not necessarily get a sack, but still affect the quarterback's mechanics and sure. ability to throw an accurate ball. Yeah. You bring up, you know, how much do guys in this defensive tackle class win late in reps? And that's a warranted question. I think that you're seeing more and more tackle play on rushdowns, be oriented on slants, be oriented on jumping gaps, and yes. be oriented on generating those quick interior rushes such that you can get a guy right in the quarterback's lap right away. So that's where you have a player like Davian Nixon out of Iowa, who I'm sure we'll talk about, who Nixon's goal on any given play is just slip the guard. Just slip the guard, slip the guard, slip the guard, slip the guard. Yeah. He just does not have interest in playing through, through frame through the guy's power frame with power. Just mm-hmm. not he's gonna he's gonna just gonna be quick, use his hands, swim, go. That works. What also works is being able to just straight rush with power. And like I said, put a guy in, in a in in a quarterback's lap. Chris Long was on uh, the the Eagles Eye in the Sky podcast with Fran Duffy, friend of the show, uh, and he was bringing up the fact that you know sacks are a team effort by the defensive line. You can't get a sack as an edge unless your defensive tackle is doing his job by collapsing space and not letting the quarterback step up in the pocket. And that's alluding to DJ's point. A speed rusher is not going to win if the quarterback can climb the pocket. So defensive tackle needs to be able to generate that rush. So when we talk about how you're impacting the play on passing downs as a defensive tackle, if you can consistently slip hands in the first second of that rep so you get a free alley to go and make move the quarterback off his set point. That's how Davian Nixon's trying to win. Mm-hmm. Cool. Go for it. That's great. But the other valuable thing is if you can just take a guard and shove him far enough into that pocket that you right. limit the quarterback's escape routes, right. that's going to turn pressures into sacks, not for you, but for your teammates. Right. And that's where Tongi is going to have value on passing downs. That's why I really like when you say he's a run-down player, but he's not going to be a liability for you on passing downs. Because mm-hmm. if you get him one-on-one as a three-tech, he's going to take NFL caliber guards, and he's going to shock them back. He's going to relocate them. He's got that level of power. And that's going to matter if you have a rusher winning on the outside. Because the quarterback's going to go to avoid that rusher, and he's not going to have any room because Tongi put a player there. So that's uh, understanding different roles for different rushers at different positions is critical because you don't need to be a high sack number guy to be valuable on passing downs. No, no doubt about it. And, and, you know, I, I bring up this name because I know it well, this isn't a player comp because he's got, you know, apparently if he, if, if Tungi I weighs 300 pounds, then Vita Vea has got about 50 extra pounds on him, which is a massive deal, uh, full pun intended. But like, the reason why Vita was so highly valued by the Buccaneers and in this Todd Bowles defense is because, yes, he is a monster of a run defender, but he also, even when they pass the football, gives you all kinds of value. Of course, he's a bigger dude, so that's another factor that comes into it. But along those same lines is kind of what I see with Tungiai, where he's impacting the play no matter what. If it's a rundown, he's probably dominating it and stopping it right at or near the line of scrimmage. If it's a pass set, he's making a big push. And he's also not going to stay locked up very long. So if the quarterback's got to move off his first read, if he's got to move up the pocket one way or the other, there's a good chance that Tungiai could reach him by second number three or four. Like, he is in no way a liability with... um, with passing downs, and I wanted to make sure that that was very well known because we're going to talk about guys who are early run defenders and more of space eaters. But even though I agree with you, I really love Tommy Tungi. I probably is the best for that role. He's got that upside to him. Another guy that I loved as a space eater is Tyler Shelvin, just because that's his entire game. 
You know, like he yep. is Tyler is more of a true space eater. One hundred percent. And that's why I'm trying to give him a little bit of shout out because if you didn't mention Tungi Eye, I was going to mention him, but since you did, Tyler Shelvin, six foot three, three hundred forty five pounds, just a monster nose tackle of a player. But again, something I really like about him, the motor. Motor's running hot on Tyler Shelvin. He loves it. This dude plays special teams, you know, and it's just he it, it, He plays it, special teams? Yes. I'm DMing you a clip right now. All right. What does he do on special teams? Wait, wait, hold on. Somebody just DM'd this to me this morning, and I'm sending it to you because it is objectively hilarious. Okay, Ben Solak. I'll describe the play in a second after I send it to you. It's punt team. It's punt defense, and they have him lined up straight in the middle, and he just takes off at the three guys who are blocking closer to the punter and just at full momentum for the first time. <laughs> See? Dude, look at his arms. Go. See? Look at him. <laughs> he is pumping the arms, man. Yo, he and this is great because you can tell that like in his head the punter isn't even there. It's just the no, the, he the just guys wants on full the line contact. of scrimmage. Yeah. The three personal protectors, and he just wants to go hit one of them. <laughs> so it seems like it seems like Tyler Shelvin really just loves football. He sends a dude like three yards. <laughs> and he was, I'll tell you. Well, him and him and Slim McNeil, who we're going to get to, Aline McNeil, I'm talking about from NC State. We're going to get to him at some point in this podcast. But these are two guys who I looked at their frame. I looked at where you line them up as nose tackles. And I like some of the upside that they brought. I think Aline McNeil has a little bit more athletic upside and gap shooting ability. He's much more comfortable with it off the first step than Tyler Shelvin is. But Shelvin gives you so much effort, and he gives you much more athleticism than you would think from a six foot three, 345-pound guy that... I love the idea of him being a space eater. I really like him as a one tech in a three four scheme. Like I, I'm sort of worried about the length when it comes to playing him in a three four situation. Like I think he's got the strength to take on two different blockers, but I don't know if he has the, like the full length that you'd want him to play in nose at all times in a three four defense. And so he's got that build. He's got that uh, those strength and weaknesses to his game where he fills that role. But I'd much rather see him as the nose tackle in like a 3-4 defense where he can kind of one gap and really, well, I mean, he'll he'll two gap against some situations. But you can give him that opportunity to take blocks one-on-one to free other guys up on a 4-3 on a defensive line. And so I like him in that role. I didn't like as many of these nose tackles as like 3-4 nose tackles as I thought I would because I thought a lot of them just lacked the length to be able to do it. Not necessarily the strength, but just like the body frame. Tyler Shelvin was one of those guys. So get him as a one tech and a four, three. And I'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of his. Yeah. If you are a, you know, if your team is oriented on finding size on the defensive line, Shelvin is six, three, three fifty. Kairos Tonga is like six, four, three thirty or something like that. Uh, Slayton, you're the Florida guy. What he's like six five, three fifty or something. Ludicrous. He's he's massive. Yeah, it's a great class for big defensive tackles. If you just want absolute monstrosities and try to figure out what to do with them on base downs, no problem. There's a couple of options. So those are the space eaters. Anybody else you wanted to shout out? I gave I gave Aline McNeil a little bit of a shout out there for a space eater. Yeah, those names I said are good. Um, Jordan Scott's a space eater. Oh, Bobby Brown, the Texas A&M kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dalton told me to watch him. He's good. Uh, he's 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 big. He's strong. He doesn't know what he's doing, but he's absolutely stacked. Uh, and so, if you're again looking for body beautiful on day three, Bobby Brown, a third out of Texas A&M, that's your guy. 
Are you going to talk about Ali McNeil later, or should I just ask you what you thought of him now? I did not have a Ali McNeil down for any of my categories. No. Okay. It sounds like you're in. Sort of. I can read you my blurb on him. Let's hear it. McNeil is a compact nose tackle type who is a converted linebacker and running back from his high school days. That athletic background shows up on his first step off the snap, even now at 320 pounds. His best work comes when he's head up on the center, as his hands are so fast he can knock them back and off balance consistently at the snap. He wasn't asked to penetrate gaps much, but when he was, he did show nice burst and impact. His limited length shows up when tackling, and when fully disengaging blocks. Overall, he would be a nice rotational player as a nose tackle for a 4-3 defense with some potential to also be a 3-4 nose. So that's what I thought of Aleem McNeil. I'm with you on that. I think that Aleem's natural leverage and functional strength are really, really great. Mm -hmm. I wish he made more plays after he gets control, right? Like I brought up with Tungyai, that, all right, Tony is a shock shed player. So I, I get control of the line of scrimmage, lock out, read the backfield, make a play. McNeil gets a lot of control and can even get penetration. And I don't think he's as good separating off of frame, getting himself through the trash and being able to make plays in your line of scrimmage. He, right? Because he's, he is a guy that I thought of when I really started to appreciate Tongi Ai. Not just winning at the snap, not just winning when he engages blockers, but also winning in second two, three, four of the snap when it comes to consistently getting off guys, getting into the backfield. If the quarterback holds it on, holds on to the mm-hmm. ball a little bit too longer, too much longer. That's I I watched McNeil and Shelvin first before I watched Tungi Eye. And those are two guys who I was like, okay, I see the frame, I see the mold, I know what they're gonna be good at. McNeil specifically. I liked what he could be as a potential one-gapping player if you asked him to do it every now and then. But neither of those guys won later in, later in the play. They just didn't. They had the things that they were good at up front primarily, and you like that. McNeely even gives you a little bit of plus athleticism for a pass rusher. But they didn't really win after those first things failed or like if they got into a block. So I, I, I agree with you completely when, when assessing McNeil and what he was able to do after the fact. Yeah, so I think when it comes to... right the necessary upper body strength, the torsion power, right? Power through the the, the torso, through the abs, through the, the, the core, and the length to get off of blocks is where I think McNeil's loses his high caliber play. That's where I think he's he's incomplete as of right now. So I like if you're if we're talking round three, round four, let's head in quit it. Uh, I I also think that probably right now he's a better like pass rusher in terms of hand usage and moves than Tungi is, but I don't think that's gonna be true in a couple years. So yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think McNeil yeah. knows what he's doing as a pass rusher yeah. more than Tungi. Yeah, I, I'm worried McNeil's arms are going to be stubby. I, I Well, well I, I think that that clearly shows up in his tape. But yeah. also, Tungi, this is his first year really starting. You know, like he mm-hmm. he was really just a rotational guy in his first two seasons. And this was kind of the first time that he was able to get a real first crack at it. So best ball could honestly be in front of him. Let's get to an ad before we get to some other superlatives. We've been telling you guys about Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bars on the market for a while now. Built Bar has the amazing low-calories, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, tasting protein bars with 100% chocolate in all of their bars. Now it's time to find out which Built Bar bar is the best because it is Built Bar madness time. Go to BuiltBar.com or at Built underscore bar on Twitter to find out who the matchups are and to get your vote in. 
Remember to use the promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order. That is LOCKEDON20. Get 20% off your next order over at BuiltBar.com. And check back to see who won today's and every day's matchup and who will become the best-tasting protein bar. On the other side of the break, we got more D-Line Superlatives. We're covering everything you need to know about the NFL Draft, but what about the rest of sports? Now, the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by Peter Bukowski. And it's all the sports news you will ever need every morning in just under 20 minutes. Follow Locked On Today podcast wherever you guys listen to your podcast. What's the next category? I didn't have it up. We talk about pass rushers? Pass rush specialist. Yes. Okay. Pass rush specialist. Who you got? I str- there are two names that I very much wanted to mention here. I am going to stick with Osa Digazua, the interior rusher out of UCLA. Now I didn't get, I didn't get to watch him yet. So Osa is 6'2", 280. So it's tough because I think that he is not going to be strictly an interior defensive lineman. I think that he w- he's going to line up on the interior in sub-package rush alignments, right? So it's going to be like third and nine. We're going to put our usual three-tech in on the interior. We're going to bring Osa onto the field, right? And he's going to line up as a smaller three tech with the idea of getting upfield penetrating, we're going to run games and twists and whatnot. Sure. Um, because a dig is really quick off the line. Really, really quick. First uh, he better be at steps. 280. Yeah. And he's able to keep his pads low. He's able to generate a ton of, of vertical displacement, right? So it's not just quick steps. They're long steps. So he's going to get upfield. He's going to penetrate. He immediately threatens the outside shoulder. And then he has, uh, good flexibility. And he's got good flexibility for an interior, interior defensive lineman. We haven't talked about cornering, uh, for outside rushers, right? You got to be able to get around that tackle, but it also matters for interior rushers. And those angles are even steeper, right? They're shorter angles. You have less, less room. And so if you've got a tackle who's in fan protection, right, he's flying out there to go deal with a wide nine rusher. You're lined up in the B gap. You have a guard now, and that tackle is not going to be able to help him on the outside shoulder. If you're able to get even with that shoulder, if you're able to get upfield and soften that angle, you got to be able to put your foot on the ground and, and cut that hard. If you're going to go affect the quarterback set point, he's able to do that. Uh, so he's able to, to slip hands, right? He's able to reduce surface area, dip that shoulder uh, and that lets him be immediately chaotic inside of the pocket, right? Uh, if you watch the uh, the USC game that they played this year, especially later in the game, his offensive line started to flag. He stayed quick and he started to really be a, a nuisance in the pocket as that game went on. So penetration ability and the ability to finish his rushes by getting mm-hmm. around that corner. Hands are good in terms of, uh, you know, he understands where the punch is going to come. He understands the timing. He understands his length. He knows when the, when the tackle wants to throw it. I think he's a, a smart player. I think that he he does a good job setting up some of his rushes, you know, giving momentum to take it away. Stuff we talked about uh, last week on the Edge podcast. Quality there. When he has to just put his hands in a guy and bull rush, no. Right. And so I think that he's got to increase his upper body strength, lower body as well. If you're going to be 280, you need more mass. Um, but I, I do think he's a little bit thin up top. And even if I'm going to leave him as a undersized sub 300 sub package rusher, I'd want him to be stronger up top because I feel like his hands don't have the necessary pop uh, to be successful as a power rusher. And you can't just try to run around a guy in the league. You're going to have to be able to go through him every so often. Uh, so aggressive, smart, quick, absolutely the sort of player I want as a crasher on stunts. Right, So I'm going to line him up in the B-gap. He's going to go and run headlong into the tackle. I'm going to take my end. I'm going to twist him around. He's going to come after the guard. And now Odigazua's got an angle on that on that quarterback. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be great in a, in a front like Indianapolis, great in a front like 
not Cleveland. Minnesota would be good for him. Some of these 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 teams that want to send blitz packages, but they want to get creative with their defensive line to generate good angles. That's where he's going to be at his best. So I like a Digazua year one to see the field on third downs and be impactful in that role. I feel like it's cheating here because you went with the 280-pound defensive lineman, and now yes, I'm, I'm going to go with a 285-pound defensive lineman. Is this Twyman? Yeah, it's Twyman. And w- mm-hmm. if we're talking about like best— The other guy I was going to mention was Darius Stills, who's like 282. Okay, yeah, so all right, there we go. Um, th- if we're talking about pass rush specialists here, I think Twyman has a good amount of moves. I think he's got a good first step. I think he knows what he's doing with his hands. Most of the time, sometimes it gets a little bit reckless with it, but he understands how to be a pass rusher, and he better at 280, 285, you know? And so he he clearly understood how to slip a gap, get in between offensive linemen, get himself into the backfield, use a little bit of his swim move. I mean, he really liked that move, and he used it to his advantage a lot in the 2019 tape that we saw. Strength is the issue, you know? And I hate to be, you know, cliche to just, like, hammer the narrative, but this is the thing with Jalen Twyman. He's got to get stronger because you're a defensive tackle. You know, you're an interior defensive lineman. And as much as pressure is king, you still have a responsibility, first and foremost, to hold up. You've got to hold up. And it's not just holding up against the run either. Like, it's holding up sometimes when you are pass rushing as well. You've got to be able to bring a strength profile into your game. It can't just all be speed as an interior defensive lineman. You can get away with sometimes just being a super fast speed rusher on the outside on the edge. You know, you can specialize as a wide nine rusher and just attacking the outside shoulder at all times. You get put in certain packages to make sure those strengths sign. You can't do that at interior defensive line. You know, he wears number 97 for Pitt. He wore number 97 at Pitt in honor of Aaron Donald. He's got the same Never size profile as Aaron Donald. And I was talking with somebody the other day. I can't remember if it was on this podcast or not. If it was on this podcast, I'm going to repeat myself. If you have a size profile where the first name that comes to somebody's mind is Aaron Donald, that is not a good thing. That is objectively a bad thing. Aaron Donald is probably the greatest defensive tackle of all time. And so it's weird to say that out loud, but he is also the most, one of the most unique football players of all time, because not only is he good, he is great. He is transcendent at 285 pounds. That just does not happen. You look at the other successful 285-pound interior defensive linemen, and the list is probably as long as... You could probably count both of it on two hands. So, Mm -hmm. it's just... It's hard to imagine him having even the success level that he had the previous season at Pitt in the NFL because of his strength profile. He gets knocked off balance. He gets pushed back by double teams. He can't hold up against some of the more stronger interior offensive linemen who he can't outreach with longer arms. He just has to get way stronger. And the problem with Twyman is is that now, when you say that out loud, when you have that as your big concern, you now have a major projection to make. Because we were down at House of Athletes Combine, and Jalen Twyman was down there. He works out at House of Athletes. That's where he's been training. He didn't work out at the Combine event, but I saw him working out in the gym after everything was all over. And, I mean, he's throwing up crazy weight on the bench press because, you know, he's a... You know, he's a future NFL player. I mean, like he's 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 strong in that regard, and he's been training a lot. And he told me when I talked to him afterwards that he was up to 304 pounds. He said he was up to 308, and that's the most that he's weighed. So that's significantly more than 285. He looked like his body frame looked fine, but I don't know what kind of player he is, helmet and pads, 
at 304. And he said that he probably, you know, he put on the weight because he wanted to get stronger and he'll probably cut it down to somewhere between 290, 295. That's a lot better than 285 for sure. I just don't know. I don't know how explosive you're gonna you, you're gonna be with ten more pounds on you. I don't know if that's gonna be uncomfortable for you. I don't know if you're gonna be able to do the same things with slipping gaps and being a a one gap penetrator with more weight on you. So all of a sudden that becomes a big projection to me. He knows what he's doing. I think he has a good understanding of pass rush moves, what works, what doesn't, what to do where, how to use his hands, how to time the snap, how to get the most out of that first snap step. He knows how to do all of these things. That's why I think that he is probably the best quote-unquote pass rush specialist in this class. It's just a projection of how much he's going to get there because he weighs so little. That's my thought. Yeah. I watched Osa and I watched Twyman and I gave Osa a better grade. Comfy. Mm -hmm. And I gave uh, Darius Stills an equivalent grade to Twyman. Now, if Twyman weighs in at over 300, then it's a different conversation as to okay what's he going to look like in the league what's the timeline going to be like so on and so forth for dasking who's going to matter year one more as a pass rusher osa digazua or jalen twyman right now i take a digazua and i wouldn't hesitate well because he sounds like he's at a weight where like you said you can get creative with him yeah but even if twyman was was entering the league at 6'2 285 a digazua is better reps just because he also at the same spot or at different spots? Like at, like at three tech? Because, you know, Jalen Twyman is yeah, basically only right. playing like one or at three. At kind of different spots, right? Because uh, UCLA liked doing three down front. So they line up Adigazu as like a, as a four tech, as a four I, right? They moved him around a little bit more. So I, I see what you're saying there. I'm just saying, it, like, if Twyman comes into the league at 6'2", 285, he's not going to be playing all three downs at three tech. No, he can't. Neither. Right. Yeah. Adigazua won't be doing that either. And so who's going to give me more in my pass rush? No, I think Adigazua would. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I wasn't trying to push back on you too much. I was just saying like, I know, if, yeah. if they were, yeah, I mean, you're, you're just a terrible scout and I wish I had a different co-host on this podcast, oh, but yeah, I mean, like I wasn't going after you too much. <laughs> no, kidding. I just wanted to, to just kidding, obviously. calibrate to where I am on Twyman. Cause I, right. Watching Twyman's film last season, was like, cool, this is exciting. And then for him to do nothing else, it's like, all right, well, we've got to be honest now about what he can be in the league. Because it changes when you're, I've said this 10,000 times, it changes when you're evaluating, assuming you get one more year of college versus yes. no more years of yes. college. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to mention Darius Stills, uh, 6'2", 282, interior defense tackle, West Virginia, built like a bowling ball, mm. lines up everywhere, Uh they just slant like crazy. I don't even know if it's, there's even rules. I think sometimes they just line up their defensive line. They're like, just go somewhere else. I don't, we're not even going to coordinate this. Just run around. <laughs> it's unbelievable watching this West Virginia defense. It's a really fun defense to study, actually. Um, super quick, extremely high effort, very, very slippery. No idea what his, his league translation is. It's like Hercules Mataafa coming out of Washington State. It's like, all right, you're too small to be real, and also your production is nuts, and also no defenses in the league do anything like you're doing here. But he's really fun. Um, right. Because he's extremely high effort and he's very, very slippery. Tough to uh, tough for guys to to maintain blocks on for the duration of a drop back. So Darius still is a fun watch. He was also a fantastic interview. I got to sit down with him and interview him oh, for yeah? a little bit. He uh, seems like he'd be fun. Yeah, he, that's over at the DraftNetwork.com's uh, YouTube channel if you want to go see that. He was, a, he was a very fun interview. He was very fun talking about stuff both on and off the field. Uh, it was great. And there is actually a Matt Rule connection with him that could potentially make him a Carolina Panther who is a guy who is your toughest evaluation which I feel like is a bear of a question in this defensive line class right flip a coin tell me who you want (laughs) right 
basically. If there is a tackle in this class who ends up really good in year one, to me it will be Levi and Wizarike, the defensive tackle out of Washington. Whoa, okay. You gotta con- however, you gotta convince me on this. You gotta, however, you gotta help me here. However, if I there I I am not taking that chance at all. No, no way am I the one trying to to take that swing. So in Wuzurike, interior defensive lineman for Washington, 6'3", 290, 295. Uh, as is typical of Washington trench players, he lines up everywhere, right? So they'd line him up uh, two years ago. Uh, in 2018, they'd line him up as a four-tech, right? So he'd be head up over the tackle. Uh, they lined him up as a three-tech. He'd be an interior rusher. This year, uh, they, they lined him up as uh, head up on the center. Right, they would, they would. I say this year, 2019, his most recent film. Uh, they line him head up over the center, zero tech. They line him up as a one tech. Uh, they like to uh, slant their line, push their line, so they'll, they'll ask him to to move lateral off the snap, to rotate, to spin, uh, to crash, to twist, everything, all of the above. Six three two ninety, extremely tweener build because he's so long. He's very lanky. And so it's 290. You're like, all right, he could play three tech, but he doesn't, he's not built like a three tech. He's not built. Like we talked about like tongue. Yeah. We talked about like natural leverage, Ali McNeil, like natural leverage, right? There's squatty guys. They got thickness to them. They're tough to double team. When Wuzurike gets double teamed, he doesn't have surface area. He's very lanky. And so you can just take him and run him, right? He has very little, uh, stopping power, anchor power. He doesn't really have sand in the pants, right? We talk about that. You watch him at the senior bowl. And he's just getting moved off his spot, right? When he's when it's his job to just sit in a gap and control it, he cannot do it. Uh, Washington accordingly slanted him and had him come aggressive into gaps because right. he doesn't have that skill. Now, to be this quick at 290 is stupid. Uh, he's very fast at the line of scrimmage. He is just a natural mover. And, and we're talking about Darius Stills being slippery. On Wuzurike slippery, that lack of uh, that lankiness, that lack of mass of density can hurt you when you're trying to maintain a gap. When you're trying to slink between a center and a guard as they slide protect, it's ideal because those guys can't get hands on you. When Wuzurike can turn his shoulders and reduce surface area, which is something he can do, it's very much like an edge trait, but he has it on the interior. He's very, very tough to pin down. He's regularly in the backfield. Uh, you watch the Oregon film from 2019, and this is when he was facing a line that had like Jake Hansen and Shane Lemieux and some 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 big time names. He's causing significant problems because he's moving around. He's he's so slippery, right? So he, he he's moving the set point constantly. Mm-hmm. He does a good job activating his hands to keep his body clear when he's slanting, when he's on a rush, when he's maintaining just one gap and he's getting upfield. He does a good job working his hands and he can finish plays at or behind the line of scrimmage because he's very long and he's quite explosive. So he's got that ability to create those tackles after he gets half a shoulder free, half of his frame free. As a pass rusher right now, I don't think that he's going to be successful lining up in a B-gap, playing three-tech, and the the guard knows he's going up the B-gap, and he's got to generate a rush angle by himself. It's not something he's had to do. And this is why I say, if there's going to be a player who's good, I think it's him because the traits are there, but I wouldn't make the bet because he did not have to do it at Washington. He just did not have to line up Head up in a gap where rushing four, you've got to win your one-on-one. It was not asked of him. It's not how Washington wanted to play football. So, physical traits are there. 
high caliber peak plays against top competition are absolutely there. Scheme versatility is there. What is he tomorrow? Right. I've got no idea. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 unla- like, unless we're talking about, I don't know, like what's the most aggressively weird front in the league? Baltimore? Like, unless we're talking about not even that, because Baltimore wants big defensive tackles. Like, who's like I, Indy just out there like playing him like he's DeForest Buckner? Like, I don't I, know. Yeah, but right? like DeForest I, Buckner's is DeForest Buckner right, exactly way like, bigger and stronger yeah. and all of that. Right. Like, I so that's the thing is right now. Like, I I, I spent an hour trying to come up with a Levi and was a cop, and then I just gave up. So I was like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I've got nothing. Uh, it's very difficult to project a player from zero technique to like true three tech when he was slanting a zero and he's going to play just straight into a gap at three tech. He does not have gap control right now. I don't see how he stays on the field, but if you put him on the field and you get him on twists, yeah. he's going to be more disruptive than Barmore, more disruptive than Nixon, more disruptive than Tufele, more disruptive than anybody. Cause he's so stinking slippery. He's so stinking fast. I'm, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not, would, with, I'm not with you on one of those names. Barmore. Y- yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. You finish though. I want you. To no, so so I, I I think that he is the most difficult player to project in this class. And if Onwuzurike walks out on the field in year one and is is a, you know, successful pass rusher, impactful rookie who matters on his team, I won't be surprised. And if he walks out and he cannot get any reps, I won't be surprised. And anywhere in between also would not surprise me. So this is me saying I do not know how to evaluate him. I am a little bit harsher on him than you are, it seems. I'm going to read my blurb for him because I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I'll just list it off in my own words. Awuzurike is a light, long, interior defensive line player who at best wins off uniqueness. We have seen flashes of the extended amount of surprising lateral quickness for a defensive tackle and want to fall in love. The problem is Amuzurike is leaning on these bonus traits as his primary traits. He doesn't show adequate NFL strength against lighter Pac-12 interior offensive linemen. He shows some physical ability to be a gap shooter, but not a lot of consistency doing it. On top of that, when he is engaged in blocks, he rarely shows the counter move arsenal or the athleticism ability to get free. I understand why people are intrigued by Onwuzurike, but he is a developmental player at best for me right now. I watched the Washington State game, and I was not really impressed with the Washington State game that he played. And I went to Washington State's roster, and I looked up the size of their interior offensive linemen. Because I thought that Nwuzurike really wasn't making that much of an impact against these interior offensive linemen. Now, like you said, he was kind of slanting at what he was doing. It's not like he was going head up against them or like trying to shoot just one. It's it's like he was trying to take on a couple of them because Washington does those crazy things with their defensive line, especially the guys that they think are really unique. But even when he was one-on-one with some of these guys, it's not like he was imposing his will. He wasn't moving them off their, off their platform very much. He just wasn't dominating the way that I would really want him to, the way that I think a lot of people are talking that he should as a potential first-round player. I looked up their size. You got 300 pounds, 300 pounds, 310 pounds. Those numbers in the NFL for interior offensive linemen, it's bottom 20 percentile. That's like 15th, 20th percentile in the NFL. The interior offensive linemen in the NFL are going to get bigger and stronger and better. And I didn't see him 
show superior athleticism or physical gifts against a lot of these Pac-12 defensive linemen. And Washington's sometimes hard to really get a beat on what a defensive lineman does best because they ask him to do so many funky things. But I came away from Unwuzurike's film in the same boat as you, not really knowing what he does well, but even seeing flashes of him going one-on-one, like he, can't, I just didn't think that he was a big winner there. So I don't think that he is a year-one impactful player. Maybe year two, year three, if you really figure out what he's great at and he gets a year in the NFL and he gets a little bit stronger. But, man, I was I agree with you. This is a tough eval, but it was more of a tough eval that I'm not really willing to believe in is kind of where I came in, came in with so, Enrique. So here's my take on the Washington State film. Washington does not try to pass rush Washington State. They drop eight. Because they just do spread right. offense air raid. Right. They drop eight, they rush three, and they 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 do not try to sack the quarterback. Sometimes, like they 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 try on Will, but the interior guys aren't trying. Because they're not they're, the numbers aren't good. If when Wuzurike gets past the first guy, the guard of the, 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 the other the other two guards are waiting for him. I agree with you, Washington State film was like nothing special, but I don't think on Wuzurike was tasked with doing anything beyond maintaining the peak of the pocket. Because he just sat there. That's fair. I take that as well. Yeah, I watched a couple of other games for a moment. What was the main one that I watched? I watched Cal off the top of my head. I know. I'll I'll look up the full games that I watched because I got it on my spreadsheet, and and I'll let you know because I'd like to compare the notes of what we had on Wizarike. But though I I just was not impressed with him. I just didn't think he was an impactful player. The toughest evaluation for me is a guy who was sort of a tough evaluation for me going into summer scouting, but I bet on him because, like you said evaluating a guy in the summer with what we thought was a full year to play is a lot different than evaluating him now going into the NFL. That's Jay Tufele. And I still think that there at times I'm really getting some rare combination of speed and athleticism from Jay Tufele. I just think, I just don't think he knows what he's doing. You know, whether, whether it is, what'd you say? I love Jay Tufele. I think he's fun. I mean, I think the, the potential of him is fantastic, but maybe I wanted to see a lot more refined to his game going into the NFL and certainly not playing this year because he opted out. He wasn't really going to get that. And when I watched his 2019 tape again, I feel like he played high. I feel like his eyes were in the wrong spot. I feel like he was getting fooled by all kinds of pulls and screens and the play's going this way. He's going the opposite way. And I feel like a lot of this misdiagnosis slow processing for what exactly was going on at the trench level was holding him back from really getting a lot out of nice physical tools. I mean, he's got a nice burst. He can do speed to power. He's got strong arms. He'll he'll push you straight back into the pocket, and he can also rip straight off you sometimes. I mean, I think the ceiling for Tufele is still high. It's just a big projection right now. He, I think, is going to have a big learning curve going into the NFL because I think that there are going to be those couple of reps where he goes, hell yeah, I can hang with these guys athletically. I'm an NFL player. I'll do it. And then all of a sudden, he'll think they're going one way, the play's going the other, and he'll go, what just what, what just happened? And then he'll get blindsided by the guard or something. You know, like, mm-hmm. that's right. that's where I see Jay Tufele right now, and that's why I think he was a tough projection for me because I envision him with such a high ceiling as a starting penetrating three-tech defensive tackle in a 4-3 system. I think that he could play at a high level in the NFL. He's just got a long way to go learning curve-wise to really getting the most out of the physical gifts that I thought we saw flash at USC. He is really, really 
good at a lot of things that I just don't think matter as much in terms of modern defense tackle play. Going back to the conversation we brought up earlier, right? Where it's like, you've got to be able to win early. And it's just like, Dufele's like often just like the last dude off the ball. But like, I he's he just not. But I, I don't think it's because he can't. It's just sure, like he, I just, he just doesn't know how to do it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, okay, then we should ask the question of why a multi-year starter and a high-caliber recruit doesn't know how to do it yet. I mean, I don't know. And, and listen, if the answer is USC's coaching staff is bad, I'm right there with you. I've been making fun of USC's coaching I, I staff for as long say, as like, I've been I, alive. I don't, know, I don't know what kind of coaching this, kid, this kid's really yeah. getting. And I think it's also, you know, to throw that argument right back at you, if I will, when you are so physically gifted, when you are such a high recruit, and you win at high school so easily, you might be able to just win in college so easily. You might be able to figure it out and just not have to learn technique as much because you're that good. I think that that goes in the equation for a lot of these guys too. All right. We got to do top fives, and yep. we haven't even talked about Davian Nixon and Christian Barmore yet. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do the top fives in a second. I got to do an okay. ad read. All our betting people out there. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get on all of your sports action. Football might be over, but college basketball, NHL, MLB, it's all in full swing now. Bet online even covers all the best award shows, TV shows, reality TV, anything that you're watching. Bet online's got you covered on all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code Locked on, all caps, one word, locked on. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. We got our top fives in this interior defensive line class coming up after the break. Wednesdays on Locked On NFL, take a dive into the future of your favorite NFL franchises. Tony Wiggins and James Rappian are joined every week by a Locked On draft expert to talk prospects of the upcoming draft. Young NFL players in the league. Did your team have a big rookie performance this year? Are they shaping up to have a premier draft pick in 2021? All these things. Get everything you need on Wednesdays at Locked On NFL. Subscribe to Locked On NFL wherever you get your podcasts. Want to just go to top, uh, do top fives, and then at the end of the show, we'll shout out some uh, day three players who might like that we didn't get to mention. You want to just do that? Yeah, well, because I feel like we're talking about the top guys. You should, we should do it that way. Okay. okay. Five for me is Jay Tefele. Four for me is Davian Nixon. Ooh. I don't know why that reaction happened. but Because okay. now, now I want to know who two or three is. Because Tungi is probably going to be one of them. Who's the other one? Three is Tommy Tungi. Oh, oh, who's two? Levi and Wazirike. Oh, okay, okay. We see this guy differently. Way uh, differently. And then one is Christian Way Barmore. differently, yes. Okay. Barmore is one. Uh, if you watch the Christian Barmore film from the end of this season... If mm-hmm. you turn on uh, Iowa State, you turn on uh, mm, uh, Auburn, turn on Florida, this is the greatest player that's ever existed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Kayla was just outside of his mind. Now, yes. it's worth noting that Barmore is his first year as a whole starter, and he got significantly better throughout the season. And so you can very easily talk yourself into an arc in which he continues getting better. I would remind you that development is not linear, but it's an understandable mental leap to make. And so that's why Barmore is my top guys, because right now his arc is more favorable than anybody else's. Uh, he has two rush moves right now. He's got swim. He's got arm over. 
living on the quick wins, right? Just strike with one hand, get, get, get the shoulders across and go fight through a gap. I wish he finished those gaps better. I think he has to learn how to play with lower pads, but right now those are productive for him. Excuse me. In the league. Guards are going to wait. They're going to get his exposed side when he, when he picks up that swim, when he picks up that arm over and they're going to shuck him into next week, especially because he plays with a pretty narrow base. And I think, like I said, he needs to play lower and he needs to play wider. He's going to have to learn how to be more successful rushing with power and rushing with rip moves going through his initial gap instead of bouncing across another gap. He's yes. going to have to grow as a pass rusher. Physical traits wise, he's as good as anybody in this class. And he does have right now, like the bar more arm over is the best pass rush move for any defensive tackle in this class. And so that's why he's number one for me. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you are going to live with growing pains. I compared it to Quinnen Williams. He's not, he's not the same prospect as Quinnen, but like everybody was like, yo, Quinnen's first year with the jets really wasn't that great. And you put on the film and you're like, yeah, but like all the stuff he did at Alabama, he's still doing, it's just right. not as successful. Right. And, and, and the physical tools are clearly still there. He just got to figure out how to step it up. Yes. And then he comes out in year two and he was dominant until he started getting hurt. So that's going to be the same arc. It, year one impact, you're not going to get out of Barmore what you're going to hope to get out of a first-round pick. Year two or year three, if you got your defensive line coach lined up correctly, you got him in a good scheme, that's where you're going to reap the benefits. That's why Barmore's number one for me. I have Slim McNeil at number five. I got JT Faley at four. I have Davian Nixon at three. I have Tommy Tungiai at two. And I have Christian Barmore at one. If there is any... Mm. First round defensive lineman in this class. Barmore. It's it's Barmore and no one else. Yeah. No one else mm-hmm. should be picked in the first round. I don't believe. Um I guess when I look at my order, Barmore's kind of in a tier of his own because of that. I got Tungiai, Nixon, Tufele in another bucket, and then I have McNeil and then Tyler Shelvin right after him at number six in another bucket at seven. I I have like Levi and Wuzurike at seven. I guess I I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna watch some more Levi and Wuzurike film. I got three games in on listen, him. Listen, listen. I gotta listen, I gotta go I watch him. But two and I have no idea what he is. Okay. okay. So I mean like, I just, I just yeah. I just was not impressed at all with him. Christian Barmore, he's fun. He wins with speed. He he's he's a slippery interior defensive tackle. You know, him being able to show the flashes in production that he's been able to over the last couple of years where while really not having a full-time starting role, it's both encouraging and somewhat, I don't want to say worrisome. What's a better word for it? Reason for caution, probably a better word for it. Because, concerning? Uh, but again, like concerning, concerning. Sounds, Eye-opening? No, all of these. All Suspicion-inducing? Maybe that maybe that one. These are those noteworthy. Are, noteworthy sounds a little too praiseworthy now. So like I'm not gonna. All right. So I'm just gonna say <laughs> that he it, he becomes intriguing because I think Barmore wins with the speed game so much, and we love that because that's what catches the eye. That's what that's what makes you a gap penetrator. That's what makes you an attacking defensive tackle. It gives you value. You can impact the pass. You can get after the passer. Right. All of these things are true. But you still got to play with more strength than he is able to. He is able to win with more speed right now, even at the SEC level, than he will in the NFL. There are going to be times where he is going to hit, like you said, one of his signature moves, and the interior offensive lineman in the NFL is going to go, okay. And he's still just right. going to have his hands underneath his armpits, and he's just going to carry he's him. Not, he's not enough of an athlete to get away with that. Right. He's a good right. athlete. He's yes. not enough of an athlete. Yes, yeah. 100%. 
100% I, I agree with you because interior D offensive linemen are going to be able to carry him and match his athleticism. He's not rare in that regard. He's the best in this class at it, but he still has to get stronger. He has to have a better strength profile to him because he's got to be able to, you know, if he goes for a speed move and if he happens to get caught, he's got to be able to put his foot in the ground and go, okay, now I'm coming back and now I'm hitting you in the mouth. Like now I'm going to make this difficult for you. He's got to have that speed strength profile to his game to match the speed because right now he's just speed but he gives you I think the best profile to be a full-time impact starting three-tech defensive tackle in this class there are a lot of other guys to like Barmore has the highest ceiling and he if you ask me is also closest to it so that's what makes him Far and away, again, that sounds like it, it, it sounds drastic, but he is clearly DT one in this class. If you ask me, we didn't yeah. we didn't talk about Nixon. Do you want to do you want to say some words on Nixon? I think you Nixon. Can go ahead, go ahead. You can. I, I would put it this way: you can take Nixon's best fifteen plays and put him up against Barmore's best fifteen plays and have a conversation. You cannot take Nixon's best three games and put him up against Barmore's best three games and have a conversation. Wow! Because Nixon wow. either clip that, folks. What a statement. It's like you're saying like that makes sense. I don't yes, know. That no, no. Like okay. that was like that was wonderful. That right. was like the all encompassing okay. way to right. talk about these guys because people love Davian Nixon. They talk about right. him as potential DT one. They've talked about him as a top 50 first round prospect with Davian. And I, mm -hmm. I know. And he's listen, not. and listen, I said, all right, Barmore's gotten so much better at the end of his as one season of starting. You can argue his arc. I was going to put him in a starting caliber tier. Cool. Nixon, uh, when the JUCO route uh, had to overcome a learning disability so he couldn't get his grades up to, to complete at the Power 5 level, went to Iowa, one season of starting, and started home wrecking, right? Like, there's, again, like, there's a very easy argument. The kid can dunk at 6'3", 315. Like, you can make a great, or 310. You can make a great argument that Nixon is going to get better in the league. Again, I don't think you're getting year one production. And number two, you he right now is lineup in a gap, shoot a gap. Can't do much more than that. Uh, does not like to get across face. No. Does not like to play uh, uh, exchanging power for power in the trenches. Regularly gives up his chest. We talked about Barmore going to struggle with that. Nixon does not play at length. He's all about getting inside. He's like a boxer. He's all about try trying to get inside of your frame to slip you. Yeah. Right. Like it, he does not want to play outside of his reach at all. And so if if he goes up against like he 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 dominated Michigan State. I mean, it was just violent, that was a fun right? tape. Right, exactly. He's just all over the place. And Michigan State just does not, they do not have the athletes to, to hang out with him. It's not successful. It's not going to be great. He goes up against Penn State, a team that like Tommy Tungyai was able to control, and it's just not the same. Because those are just higher caliber players who have better athleticism and were, and were more successful in dealing with Nixon in tight areas. So, like, when he's on and he's clicking, Michigan State, Nebraska, he can be a home wrecker. But, like I said, on the snap to snap consistency isn't there. And I think that he needs work in terms of what down distance and play call dictates how he plays because yeah. otherwise he's just going to kind of be all over the place he's going to be a liability a few times i think i think iowa is big time just letting him play to his strengths right now and right go out there and be disruptive absolutely. right right and like sometimes you can tell it's not to the benefit of the rest of the group like to the rest of the defensive line it's just not not that it, it's a total takeaway but he could be doing other things if he was a stronger player. I'll, I'll read I'll read my blurb on him before we get out of here, or at least before we shout out another day three guy we like. Nixon is a good player who does things that really catch your eye in the passing game. His first step is good, and because of this, he is comfortable and confident in a one-gap penetrating role. But it's not great. 
which is why it's not as effective as you might want it to be. He also has correct active hands when punching and disengaging, but he seems to win with twitch and hip movement more than truly disengaging in blocks. He has the arm length, but doesn't use it to his advantage as much as I thought that he would. He is a willing run defender at 305, but he doesn't have as strong of an anchor as other defensive linemen, even ones of similar size. Play strength was an issue for him at times. Right now, I think that Nixon is a good prospect with nice pass rush upside, but I wouldn't go higher than the word good. So that was my that was my overall. Assessment. I wouldn't go higher than the word good. Yeah, I, again, maybe maybe it's not Unwuzurike. Maybe it's Nixon who just walks into the league and starts absolutely dominating. I'm like, yeah, I get it. It's a very difficult class to sort through. I know for a fact that Tommy Tungia is good at run defense, and that's yes. what I've got, and I'm sticking on him. <laughs> Everybody else makes no sense. Uh, we've actually talked about all the guys that I watched other than Marvin Wilson. So he was the only only dude no, that that I didn't. Don't get. Have, we don't have to talk about Marvin. Ben once said he's the best defensive player in the class, Wilson. Oh, it's so sad. He's still high ceiling. I just don't think he's going to get there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He's big it's, and quick. Was the, was the biggest issue for him um, natural leverage, like he plays high? Right. Because that was, yeah, yeah. That was, that was yeah. my big thing with him. He, he took big, away a lot of right. the things that he does well just because he plays so high. Right. The biggest issue for him, like in terms of the, the technical aspects of playing the position, is pad level. The biggest issue for him overall, I think, is effort, which is why pad level was bad. It's exhausting keeping your pad level low when you're 6'5", 325. So he just doesn't do it. You know what I'm saying? You think he didn't have good effort? I or, think or that... Do you think, do you think that he not didn't have good effort, or do you think he didn't have good focus? Because I think there are different things. I think he takes plays off, and if the defense at Florida State wasn't playing well, he'd just try to get through the rest of the game. I, it's hard for me to really judge motor and motivation with Wilson because we've said this before, Florida State was so terrible this year, not just on the field, but also everything that was also happening off the field, like with their coaching staff and all that, that I, I truly believe those things go a long way into guys' performance on the field. So it's hard for me to be too judgmental on the motivation or motor from the 2020 season for Wilson. I thought that he had pretty good effort when I watched a couple of the 2019 clips that I went back to watch because I wanted to show that I got those on as well. But the pad level was still an issue in 2019. Like that that stuff still existed for him and the ability to get the most out of your talent. I mean, if if he can't fix the pad level, if he can't flex whatever it is, the flexibility, the want to, whatever it is, if he doesn't have that natural leverage, he's just going to He's not going to have it in the NFL. He's just going to get outplayed, for his, even as for as physically gifted as he was as a five-star. I'd love to see him drop 10 pounds and just just be able to play hmm. quicker. Because then if he, if, he's, if he was thinner and lighter, then he could go the Davian Nixon route and just go and just, just disrupt and just be nuts, right? Because right now, like, he's a two-down player. But I think he like I, I, what I believed about him in the summer remains true. I think he can be a three-down player. I just do not see a four-quarter player right now, hmm. especially on a team that like might be bad. There's the interior defensive line class, as Ben, ben and I said at the beginning. It's not the greatest group, but there are some guys that are going to round out some teams, be in rotational roles, and I think that that's important. Some guys to note there. We've got interior offensive line next. That's the next positional group that we'll be going over. And, of course, we have Fan Friday as well at the end of the week. So make sure you're thinking of your fan questions to get in on the show. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here. Unlocked on NFL Draft.